Hi, you are now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. Today you will hear a sermon from Pastor Frank Pizor. So without further ado, here he is. If you want to, you can open your Bibles to Second Chronicles, chapter 33. And this will be the last king that we look at before we head off into a new series. And we're going to look at Manasseh. It's one of my favorite stories in a strange way, but I really enjoy reading the story of Manasseh for the ending more than for the beginning. I just want to ask, do you believe that God can change people? I think most of us will say, yeah, I, I'm with you. I, I believe that. But I, I really wonder, do you really believe that God can change people? You might be in a place uh, where you have someone in mind and you immediately think, oh, man, there's no way God can change that person. I mean, my spouse? No, I'm just kidding. But you might be thinking, there's someone in my life that just is so whatever it is that they are, that they're not going to change. Or a portion of you are sitting there thinking, yes, I believe God can change people, but I'm not really so sure that he can change me because there's something that's going on in my life or in my heart that just isn't changing. It could be an attitude. It could be some secret sin that you've kept from everybody else and nobody knows about, but it's just not changing. And so, yeah, we'll, we'll give that mental assent. Yes, I believe God can change people. But there's an undercurrent that says, but I'm not really so sure about him or her or even myself. So I want to look at Manasseh today, and I want us to see a man who's really messed up in a whole bunch of ways and see what God does in his life and how the story ends. Let's read a little bit of Second Chronicles chapter 33, and now we're going to get a picture of who this guy Manasseh is. Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king. So we have a 12-year-old here somewhere, right? And who's 12? Caleb, how old are you? 12? All right, uh, since your dad stood up there for a second, why don't you stand up and show everyone what a 12-year-old looks like? That is our new king. (laughs) Just for a day, though, probably just for a minute, because after this, it goes back to the real world. 12 years old, he becomes king, and he reigned in Jerusalem for 55 years old. I'm sorry, I'm thinking anyone 55 years, you know, you want to stand up really quick and give us an idea of what 55 looks like? And it's not me just yet, so don't, uh, that's another six years away. Now, if you can remember last week when we talked about the three kings, those three kings all had a very good beginning, an excellent beginning. They loved the Lord, they served the Lord, pride came into their lives, and they fell away. Well, right out the gate, this is what the writer of Chronicles says about Manasseh. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord. In other words, this guy just started out bad at 12 years old. Now, if you can imagine, nice, calm, gentle, sweet, innocent Caleb just being a dirty, rotten, evil kid, even at the age of 12. Now, he's not like that, but just imagine that. So right out the gate, it seems to me that this guy, Manasseh, has an evil problem, a wicked problem, a sin problem, whatever you want to call it. He followed the detestable practices of the nations that the Lord had driven out before the Israelites. And I'm not going to get into the culture back then, 
But the nations that they drove out, it was horrible. It was a mess. It was ugly. It was wicked. It was evil. Here this king is now in line and he's ruling the nation and it's just all wickedness. Here's what he did specifically. He rebuilt the high places his father Hezekiah had demolished. Now, which is really interesting as a quick side note here. Hezekiah was one of the most godly kings. And it makes you wonder, how does a godly king have the most wicked king as his son? Doesn't make sense. But I think it's a thing to remember because sometimes when we see kids fall away, we always think, man, it's the parents' fault. Now, mind you, there's a lot of times there's things that go on at home, but it's not always true that it's the parents' fault. There's something here in Manasseh that he's making choices by himself that leads him away. But let's move on. He also erected poles to the Baals and to the Asherah. He bowed down to all the starry hosts and worshipped them. He built altars in the temple of the Lord, which the Lord had said, My name will remain in Jerusalem forever. In both courts of the temple of the Lord, he built altars to all the starry hosts. He sacrificed his sons in the fire in the valley of Ben-Hinnom. Now, here's where my problem rests with Manasseh. How many of you have pictures of your kids in your wallets or on your iPhones? Okay, pull them out. Just for a minute here, pull them out. Take a look at the picture. I want you to get a, uh, an idea of what's going on here. And as you're doing that, I'm going to kind of show you an idea of how bad this is. This last Friday, uh, I went to my niece's wedding. And uh, my niece is part of the side of my family, which there was a split with. And uh, we don't see that side of the family. There's a lot of tension there. And I don't think it's ever going to be changed, although I believe that God can change it. But with her, I met her through Bob St. Clair because one day at work, he noticed that this lady had the name Pizor, spelled exactly like mine. And he said, hey, do you know this guy named Frank? He's the pastor of my church. She said, I have no idea who he is. Well, the reason she has no idea who he is is because her father, who is my cousin, there's a split. And we never see each other, so she's never seen me. We got together. We had lunch. She ran against Michael Madigan. She got crushed, unfortunately. Sorry about that if you're a Michael Madigan fan. And um, eventually invited me to her wedding. Now, think about this. I'm the only Pizor from my side of the family. There's reconciliation. There's change. God is doing something that's at her wedding. But I'm watching her dance on the floor uh, with her stepfather. And I'm thinking to myself, 25 years from now, and I'm beginning to cry because I'm getting older and I'm getting weepier, and maybe a little bit sooner with Christine if she gets married sooner. 25 years from now, our youngest little Gianni is going to be on a dance floor dancing with me. And I'm beginning to cry because I'm thinking, wow, I just love my kids so much. It drives me to tears to think that they're not going to be living with us. It kind of reminds me of uh, Steve Martin's Father of the Bride. You know, when he's looking at his daughter and uh, she's like 20-something and he's looking at this 8-year-old girl, you know, right? You know what I'm saying? That's, I just wish my kids would stop growing up. Just stop. That's it. No more. Of course, it will save you college expenses. That would be cool. But I just don't want them to grow up. I am just madly in love with my kids. It also made me realize that if she gets married 25 years from now and I'm walking down the aisle with her, what is everybody saying? Why is her grandfather going down the aisle with her? Because I'm going to be 74 at that time, 20 years from now. It's craziness. But I absolutely love my kids. Now look at your picture. Look at your kids. Do you not love them? Are you not crazy passionate for your kids? And now to think this guy says, you know what? I'm having financial troubles. We're having troubles in the kingdom. You know what? 
Hey, I've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven sons. Let's get rid of this one and let's throw him in the fire. I'm horrified by that. This is not a nice man. This is a very, 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 very wicked man. Anyone who could look at their child and say, you know what, today we're sacrificing you because I want to get something out of this is messed up. This man is wicked. He is seriously, seriously wicked. It goes on though. He practiced sorcery, divination, and witchcraft and consulted mediums and spiritists. He did much evil in the eyes of the Lord, provoking him to anger. He took the carved image he had made and put it in God's temple, which God had said to David and to his son Solomon. In this temple and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, I will put my name forever. I will not again make the feet of the Israelites leave the land I signed to your forefathers. If only they will be careful to do everything I commanded them concerning all the laws, decrees, and ordinances given through Moses. In other words, this guy is so bad off, he has basically seen all the good things that God has done in his father Hezekiah's life. He has thrown it off and he has gone full blown and said, we are going all out. We are going to worship every God, any God, whatever God there is. We're going to worship them and we're going to worship them in the very place that the God of gods, Lord of lords, King of kings said, this is my home. That's messed up. The God who has given him everything. He turns around right out the gate and says, I want nothing to do with you. I just want pleasure upon pleasure upon pleasure Upon pleasure. This God is what I want. Leave me alone. But Manasseh led Judah and the people of Jerusalem astray. So not only is he a bad man, he is also a bad king. Because what he is doing has led the people to say, well, if he can do it, why can't I? And so everybody else follows off and does everything that he does. And he leads them astray. And so they did more evil than the nations the Lord had destroyed before the Israelites. Why did the Lord destroy those people? Because of their greatness of their sin. And now here Manasseh has led the people to sin in even greater sin, probably because they knew God for who he was and said, forget it. We want nothing to do with you. We're going to go our own way. We're going to do our own thing. And we're going to worship in our own way as well. Absolutely amazing. Here's the thing about God that's really cool. Watch what happens in verse 10. The Lord spoke to Manasseh and his people. Absolutely amazing. The Lord spoke to Manasseh and his people. In other words, this is so bad. And if you can read in 2 Kings chapter 21, you will see it is really bad. And the rebuke is much more stronger there. In a sense, it's like you guys have gone so far off the deep end that I'm through. I'm done. This nation is toast. I said, if you obey me, I will bless you. If you turn from me, I will curse you. And you guys have gone so far away, it's over. So after Manasseh, the pronouncement is, that's it. Y'all have taken your own way and you've given up on me. And now here's what's going to happen is you're going to go off into captivity. That's how bad it was. But God warns them in his love and says, stop, stop. 
Here is an opportunity and a chance for you to look at what you're doing and say, this is not good. Let's turn. How many of you had this experience as parents? But they paid no attention. Right? Come down, please. I mean, you, you hear it. They hear it. You know they hear it, but they didn't do anything. It drives you nuts. And yet, God still pursues Manasseh. Absolutely unbelievable. So the Lord brought against them the army commanders of the king of Assyria, who took Manasseh prisoner, put a hook in his nose, bound him with bronze shackles, and took him to Babylon. Okay, that's got to hurt. Right? I know you're looking at me and going, it can't hurt that much, but trust me, man, it's still got to hurt. In his distress, he sought the favor of the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers. God, in his love, continued to pursue Manasseh even after he had disciplined him. God didn't say, I'm done completely with you, but he pursued him. In Babylon, God, and I don't even know how this happened, to be honest with you. I don't know if Manasseh was in a prison and he's sitting there and he's reflecting on his life. I mean, because in a sense, he just got a sabbatical, right? Ruling a nation, having to run the nation, deal with all the problems of the nation. Boom. When you're captive, you've got nothing else to worry about. You just have time on your hands. So in the midst of his sabbatical, I don't know what Manasseh was thinking, but ultimately God breaks through his heart and he changes. In his distress, he sought the favor of the Lord as God and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers. And when he prayed to him, the Lord was moved by his entreaty and listened to his plea. So he brought him back to Jerusalem and to his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord is God. God can change anyone. I only want one point to get across today. Even if we ended it here, it would be this. Is that if God can change Manasseh, he can change anyone. Manasseh was evil. He was wicked. He had no conscience. He didn't care for anyone or anything but pleasure itself. One would look at him and say, there's absolutely no way that this guy can change. And I would imagine the people that God brought before Manasseh looked at him and said, you know what, Lord, I will prophesy, but I'm not so sure that he's really going to change. It might have been the same thing that people would have said about Jacob. Jacob grows up and he is a rotten, stinking deceiver. Everything is about himself. But in his distress, before he thought was to be the day of his death, he met God, he wrestled with God, and God changed him. Was he perfect afterwards? No, he wasn't. But God changed him. When Paul's going to Damascus, everyone would have thought there is no way, there's no way that God is going to change that man. He is so full of fire for God as he sees him, but sees him incorrectly, that he's out there and he's imprisoning people and he's killing people. There's no way God is going to change him. But I think in his distress, when the Lord spoke to him, that he was changed by God. It makes me think of people that I've come across. When I was at Moody years ago, there was a guy named Magic Wan. And uh, Magic Wan was a pimp and a drug dealer. And uh, people would think there's no way this guy was going to change. And one day before uh, police were about to bust into his apartment, 
and arrest him. He heard a voice that said, flush it all down the toilet. So he flushes all the drugs and uh, still gets into trouble. But he changes because he realizes that God has spoken to him and is calling to him and he becomes a pastor. Can you, can you remember when we had um, Christopher Yu on here? And the life that he led, God spoke to him and changed his life. Can you remember the guy that we had here, Louis Dooley? When he came and he said the type of person he was, angry man, uh, a, a violent man, and yet God changed him. So I'm in a conference earlier this year. He's wanting to help other guys who are in a similar place. God can change people. Now, I know you're sitting there thinking, now hold on a minute, brother. First of all, I'm not pimping, I'm not dealing, and I'm not killing. So I'm not that bad. So we're all good, right? No, we're not. Because if you're like me, and I would imagine a portion, a large portion of you are sitting there going what? I'm a good citizen. Our issue is not the things that we do on the outside, but the things that we do on the inside. Not that corner, not that place or that space where selfishness rules and reigns. But our hearts, the whole place, where we struggle with the things like anger or envy or lust or whatever it is that just drives us. And we sit and think, I cannot change. Or we look at the person who is living with us or the person at work or, or the neighbor or whatever it is, and we say, they're just not going to change. And we want to give up. And say, I quit. This is not possible. Even though theologically we'll all sit down and say, yes, God can change them. Manasseh is absolutely changed. How do we know? Let's read the rest of the story and then we'll come back to the point of why I'm going to about change. Verse 14, Manasseh returns. After he rebuilt the outer wall of the city of David, west of the Gihon Spring in the valley, as far as the entrance of the fish gate and encircling the city of Ophel. He also made it much higher. He stationed military commanders in all the fortified cities in Judah. He got rid of the foreign gods and removed the image from the temple of the Lord, as well as the altars he had built on the temple hill and in Jerusalem. And he threw them out of the city. Then he restored the altar of the Lord and sacrificed fellowship offerings and thank offerings on it and told Judah to serve the Lord, the God of Israel. The people, however, continued to sacrifice at the high places, but only to the Lord, their God. He's changed. What he did is he saw all the wicked things in his life and he took them and he got rid of them by the power of God. And then all the positive things that should have been in his life but weren't, he now put them in his life. Because one of the things about change is as you're putting off things, you need to put something else on in place of that. Otherwise, as Jesus talked about with those demons, when the one is cast out and he can't find anywhere to go and he comes back with seven more dangerous, what he's saying is there's this hole, this void, this vacuum that must be filled. Because when you are seeking something that is wrong and away from God, it is because you're not filling that part that God is supposed to fill. So removing it is good, but it's not enough because it's still there. And because it's still there, unless you fill it with something from God, those desires are going to come back and you're going to fill it anyway. That spot will be filled. The question is, what are you going to fill it with? And Manasseh probably realized, me sitting here like, uh, three millennia later, probably realized that if I do not fill it with God, we're in trouble. 
And so he filled it with God and he was all in and he was committed. In the, in the words of our DVD, he would be someone who was a follower, not a fan. And he is going all out for God. We know that this man was changed. God changed him completely, totally. Now, mind you, there's a part when God does change us. We sit there and we struggle with the residue of our sin. There are some of us who have given up things years and years ago, but they hang in the background. They lurk. They're waiting for the moment that we might let our guard down and they'll come back in. Now, that's not to scare you, but it's just to say that God does change people, but we must continually walk before him in humility. How did God change Manasseh? Let's go back to verse 12. God can change people. And here's the key that I want us to see. In his distress, he sought the favor of the Lord as God and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers. Heart change comes from humility. It's that place where I think if we're all honest with ourselves, we have to say, I need God. I really, I need God. May not be the worst person. You could probably point to six or seven other people who are worse than you, maybe even more. You could point to whole groups of people, perhaps, who are worse than you. But when God is looking at you, we must say, I must say, God, I need you. For without you, In my life, without me depending on you and who you are and your mercy and your grace and how you pour it into my life, I don't know where I could be. That doesn't mean that I'm going to do all the evil, wicked things that all the evil, wicked people out there do that we don't do in the church, right? But I know, I know that without you, I will worship anyone but you. God responds to that humility. James chapter 4, verse 6. Do you remember that? God is opposed to the proud. Why did Joash, Amaziah, and Uzziah struggle in the end? Because they got proud. God blessed them greatly, gave them great things, prosperity in a physical sense in the Old Testament. And then they said, we are good. We are good to go. We are fantastic, God. We don't need you anymore. And that's when God became their opponent. And they crashed and they burned. Manasseh gives us a different perspective of a man who says, God, I do not need you. There's nothing good about you, God, because what you do is is you build boundaries and barriers and you restrain us from experiencing pleasure. I don't want any part of that. And then in his distress, he humbles himself and he says, you know what, God? I realize what that lifestyle got me and it was absolutely nothing. But pain and misery... And regret. And I want to say to you, I need you. I need you. It is humility that changes us. Because I think many of us will think, no, I, I'm, I, you know, you might be in a, in a rough marriage and you go, man, when I look at the marriage, I mean, it's like, my, I, I have some problems, I have some issues, I might be about 10, 15% of the problem, but my spouse, man, that's like 85% is a lot. It's their issue. I wonder if what God says, you know what, whether they're 85 or 95%, you still need to humble yourself and realize you still need to change. You still need me to love your wife, your husband, 
in a way that I love you. Which and every one of us can really truly say that we love our spouses or our friends or our family members with an unconditional, extravagant love that is bursting from the seams. Because again, the change that we face today is not going to be the change that is like a Manasseh that is like a Jacob, that is like a Paul, that is like a magic wand, that is like a Christopher Yuan, that the rhyme wasn't intended. That change is the change that needs to come in our hearts and our motives and the selfishness that drives us when God calls us to be like Jesus, which is absolutely selfless. Can God change the person that you're having difficulties with? Yes. I remember years ago in dealing with a high school girl that was saying, my, my brother is horribly abusive. And, and she's just broken about, uh, about how abusive he was, couldn't get beyond it. We sat down and prayed for him. In two weeks, this guy who was arrogant, proud, abusive, came to know Christ. And today is a good member of a church. God changed him. Now, was he out there doing the pimping and the dealing and the killing? No, but he wasn't a good brother and it looked like he had no conscience, but God changed him. There's a lot of people that sit in the pews and go, oh, you know what, man? God cannot change even me. God knows what's going on in my heart, but there are things that I am stuck with that I just can't seem to let go. Plenty of stories of people who, in a similar situation, and I'm not saying if you're stuck in this that you're not humble. Don't get me wrong. Don't leave her thinking, well, if I'm not changing, I must not be humble. Because humility is just a statement of, God, I need you. It doesn't mean that we won't fail, but it's saying, God, I need you. Manasseh said, God, I need you. Look what I've done. And the cool thing is, is that God restored him. As God, as he changes us, can restore us as well. That's why I like Manasseh. Manasseh is a guy who should be down and out. And and quite frankly, as we've seen, is a very disgusting man until he met God. And God changed him. So let me ask you again, without you answering, do you really believe that God can change people? Do you really believe that God can change you? Because I think God's biggest desire when it's one-on-one with you and God is that you would be changed, not so worrying so much about your spouse or your neighbor or your friend. God wants to change us so that as he changes us, people don't see who we are, but they see who God is. I started this message out and I wanted to share what does repentance look like, but then I realized that's a very self-centered message because the message is really about God. It's God invading a man's life and saying, here I am in your distress. You now see me for who I fully am. And he worshiped God. So let me ask you, one of the things that I was thinking about this morning in the shower, I was wondering, what are my kids going to say? You know, like a lot of times your kids will say nice things about you, but you know, when they get to be in their 30s and their 40s and stuff like that, and they look back and they go, oh, you know. I, my fears, my, my, my kids would go, oh, my dad was a pastor, but man, he was a terror at home. He was mean and rotten. and ne-. Now, of course, that's not true, right, guys? Any of my kids here going to back me up on this? 
How come they're not here today? What's going on? That's my fear. How do people view you? The people who really know you, can they say they've changed? There is something about them that I know. Jesus has touched them in such a way that they are not who they used to be. God does bring us together to change us. It's the gospel. The gospel is all about change. If you really believe in God and you really believe the gospel, you must absolutely positively believe that God can change people. If you can look at God and say, God cannot change people, you've basically said, God, you are not God and your gospel is not true. The call today for us then is to see God for who he is and what he has done for us and what he wants to do to us and what he wants to do through us so that as we are changed, a changed people, people cannot believe in change, but believe in God who changes people. I struggle with God changing people, but scripture and life experience shows God can change anyone. And if he can change Manasseh, he can change you or anyone that you know. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we sing how you are able, and yet perhaps in our hearts and in our words, there's doubt. We might think of others we've been praying for for years who've not changed. We might think of ourselves whom we've been praying for for years and haven't changed in that area of our lives which trips us up constantly. Father, I'd ask that you would forgive us for the doubts that we express and not trusting that you can change people. Our prayer today is Father lead us to the cross where we might see humility fully displayed in Jesus. And Father may we take up a cloak of humility ourselves. In our hearts and our minds to kneel before you whether it's in our distress or not and say God I need you I cannot live my spiritual life by myself I cannot grow I cannot change through mind games but I can change through your spirit fill me for I need you not just for now but moment by moment step by step Father, may there be a sense in our hearts of your presence and how you've changed us, even in good ways. May we sense your pleasure when we trust in you. 
And Father, as we struggle in areas where some of us may struggle, I do pray that you would not only bring us breakthrough, but brothers and sisters would come alongside of us and carry us when we are weak. For our strength is in you, and you have given us brothers and sisters to be strength as well. Father, as we go through this week and you examine our heart motives, give us a sense of Jesus and who he is, of his extravagant love for us and his unending power to change us. In Jesus' name. Hi, you are now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. Today you will hear a sermon from Pastor Frank Pizor. So without further ado, here he is. 